So you haven't played golf again? I know this is getting to be chronic, isn't it? Um, because apparently you don't like winter qualifiers. Well, I think I think my truth is that I'm becoming a fair weather golfer, Tom. I right. think, which is very odd. I mean, it was never this was never ever the case. I would always get out in any weather, any time of year. And as we have said in previous pods, there is actually a lot about winter golf that I really, really like. But I just it's been a lot of rain this month, and I don't like the idea of just tramping round. So is Strenny open on Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. Very rarely closed these days. I mean, think how much rain we've had over the last month. Absolute bucket loads of it. Um, very few chances to not play golf. But <clears throat> winter qualifiers. Yeah, sorry. I've got a bit of a cold as well. You can probably hear this. And um, it was it was worse at the weekend, which is now. So there's another excuse to not play golf. But I, I don't. So... I am of an old school generation where you basically finished playing competitive golf at the end of October and then just slipped into some fun winter comps. And I've always liked that because I play a lot of competitions. You know, I can do 20 to 25 from April to October. It can get a bit of a grind, particularly if, as I've been this year, I don't want to swear on the podcast, but I've, I've, fucking I have been, useless. I have been well. Yeah, you've 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 done that quite right. There's been no other word for it. So after all of that, I think do I want to put myself through it in the winter as well? And World Handicap System now gives you an opportunity, doesn't it? You can have a measured course and you can put scores in all year round. And I think England Golf, I think, would be obviously our governing body, are very keen for you to put scores all year round because it keeps your handicap correct. And if you have great improvement over the winter, it keeps the system going. I mean, we can all remember, can't we? You come back in April, someone's like, been working hard in the range or they're a junior that have just got better because give a junior six months, they'll just get better, won't they? And they come back in April and then they win every comp. It's supposed to stop that, but I can't muster any enthusiasm for a, a winter qualifier time. I just can't. But do, and do you have to play the qualifier? No, no. So you have a choice at strengths or where I am. You can... The, the, the competitions themselves are not, but you can choose to put a score in, like a general play score, or you can say to the pro, I want this score to count for my handicap. Um, and I just, yeah, I just can't muster the enthusiasm for a number of reasons, really. I mean, like, I, I, do, I do generally like winter golf, but it's not the same as summer golf. I actually think it's a miracle we get to play on proper greens as much as we do, but anyone who says that it's the same as playing in summer is just deluding themselves it is not some people put well on winter greens some people put well on the odd temp I don't I don't put well most of the time Tom so to then subject myself to to the winter um, so we quite often so at Strensel we have we have groups of people who sometimes some people are playing in the comp and some people aren't does that happen no, no, I don't think so. No, I think everyone will play in the competition, whether it's a pro team, pro shop team comp, or whether it's a stable foot, or whether it's a, a shotgun. I think everyone will play in the comp. I'm not even sure, to be honest, how many people would put a score in. I'd have to ask them. But if you play in the comp, you're not then obliged to put your score in? No, you get okay. a choice. In the win- I mean, I'm, I'm sure at some clubs that is, it's mandatory. I'm sure at some places it's right. just competitions all year round. I mean, you used to do that. Pre WHS, did you at Woodley? Did you always have winter qualifiers? No, we didn't have winter qualifiers. Um, sorry, we flip flop between the policy whether competitions are qualifiers in winter or not. 
nowadays our winter Saturdays are dominated by these pros comps which aren't qualifiers off these black winter tees which are rated so you can put a score in if you yeah. want but you're not obliged to for me as well, there's an unusual situation, I think, which might not be the same for everyone else. The shorter course at Strensel suits me better than the longer one. It does, it just fits my eye better in terms of angles. It's just, for me, it's just easier. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's like, it's the golf, the winter courses, the golf course with its defences lowered a little bit. So it's not, it doesn't feel to me like it's a true reflection. So you, you're trying to mount some sort of argument saying it's too easy? I'm not saying it's too easy at all. Um, but this is the man whose handicap is like sort of banging its head against the hard cap but, but yeah absolutely but you know I, I'll have come from shooting an average of like 86 on a par 70 all year long we've gone we've gone into our winter course and suddenly I'm under par comfortably do you know what I'm I think not playing particularly do you know what I think and I love that but I, you know I think you didn't play because it was raining do you think I'm sandbagging as well? Oh, he's just keeping his handicap. I just think you didn't play because it was raining and you're now <laughs> trying to justify it. <laughs> I've justified this. It really was raining as well. I've justified this into a soon to be seen six to seven hundred word piece on nationalclubgolfer.com. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I didn't play golf either because it was raining a lot. Is it ever going to stop raining? Uh, I've also got gout, so. How, I mean, like, didn't Henry VIII get gout? Yeah. I mean, isn't it? Wasn't it known as? Isn't it known as which person's disease? Don't you have to eat like a pigeon? Yeah. To get gout, how have you managed it? I don't know. It's like the least cool illness going, isn't it? <laughs> I went in goal at my kids' football on Saturday. Uh, and I was sort of doing some competitive dad diving around and I thought I'd uh, pulled like a ligament in my toe, which I was gonna accept as being sort of at least a slightly athletic injury. Anyway, turns out I've got gout, uh, which is really quite annoying. I don't drink since the open, uh, don't eat cheese. What's happening, Steve, getting uh, old. Are you, anyway, eating, are you eating pigeon? So I had to cancel my winter foursomes on Tuesday morning because of the gout. Oh, you, did you have you ever have you ever got to the bottom of the Winter Thorsons debacle? Didn't you? I mean, you had like a quite a tough partner decision. Uh, it's just been all over the place. So Dan couldn't play because he didn't put enough qualifying cards in, so his handicap's not legit. And then that sort of segues off into because he's played all his golf in Scotland this year, and because he can't submit scores in Scotland easily, he hasn't got a handicap, uh, which is sort of quite funny. Anyway, he's my regular partner, so he's out the window. I couldn't play with Hannah because she's a girl, and that's not allowed. Uh, and I don't really have any other friends. And then my one other friend has got a regular partner, but he had a bad back. So I did get a game with Jonathan Taylor. Um, and this game's been arranged like five times for various different reasons. And now it's been canceled because of my gout. So now I'm playing at the beginning of December. Anyway, we will get there eventually. Um, so I didn't play golf at the weekend, but I did go to the driving range uh, with my kids and it was Amazing. Wait, what? <laughs> it was. I went to I went to Rudding Park. Have you been to Rudding Park? <coughs> um, yes. Not in the driving range though. No. Uh, so Rudding Park is a pretty um, 
Well, it's like a massive place just outside Harrogate. It's got a huge five-star hotel um, with this like ridiculous spa thing that they spent loads of money on. Um, the golf is pretty separate from the hotel. It has a separate golf club. Um, it's got a members golf club, um, which obviously hotel guests can play at as well. Which is not bad, is it? Reading, yeah, it's all right. Sort of Parklandy thing. Yeah. Um, and then it's got a really cool little uh, five-hole, uh, six-hole, five or six-hole par three course called the Repton, which is like it's one of the hardest par three courses in the world. Uh, it's got an island green 18th, or sorry, sixth final hole, which is really quite difficult. It's like a nine iron, and it's to a proper island green. Um, and the hole before that is like got a huge creek running in front of it. Uh, it's really good fun. Uh, really good uh, short game area, really good practice facilities generally. And then it's got this range, um, which is run by Grooves Golf, which is like a sort of um, teaching collaboration um, um, between the pros that the pros that have that franchise. Um, and it's brilliant. They've spent tons of money on it. Um, they've got tr- uh, Trackman Range, I think it's called, mm. in every bay. Um, and I just could not believe how good the whole experience was. So we had, my kids are six and seven. We went up there, it was like chucking it down with rain all day. Went up there at like three o'clock, so it was getting dark. Um, was slightly worried it was gonna be a pretty underwhelming experience and it was just brilliant. They've got an app thing where you can like order coffee and food and stuff on your phone and then a man brings it to your bay. Ooh. Yeah, you book the bay for a certain amount of time so you can do it online so you're not gonna turn up and have to queue. Um, and this Trackman range stuff is obviously brilliant if you're practicing um, but they've also got like kids games on it so there's a game where you have to hit monsters and you can't basically miss the monsters the kids would just spend literally two hours whacking balls uh, into a computer generate, generated pond and then see how many points they got for hitting monsters it was genuinely an amazing experience far 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 removed from muddy driving ranges of the past Driving range experiences, obviously changing, isn't it? Yeah. Because um, I mean, I can remember. I, well, not very long ago. I'm not going to say where this is, um, for obvious reasons. But you know, I turned up at the driving range not that long ago. The balls, well, if they had a cover on them. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, they were almost smooth. Um, so you get those swan divers straight away you get the ones that spin funnily in the air and you just think after about four balls five pound lighter or whatever it was it cost you you just think right I might as well go home because I'm not going to get anything out of my game here a mat that's worn to the point of concrete how much do you think it should cost to go to the driving range I think it de- I think it depends on what you get I think it depends on the experience doesn't it um, so at my, at my own course we've, we've got really really good practice range actually um, really good short game area really good really good range with mats and turf so we've got both and bays so we've got in we've got bays outside mats and turf which I think is a really good move everything there you can want isn't there um, and it costs £1.50 for about 20 balls which is just ridiculously cheap £1.50? yeah something like that £1.50 per token it's just ridiculously cheap don't think they make any money off it at all um, the ground on the driving range would be 
on the softer side, I would say. Um, so there's like regular maintenance on there. But but as as a piece of ground goes, it's a really, really good range. You know, you can get there an hour before and you can do you can do everything you want, but I've, I've, I mean, it, that would be a, that would be the lower cost end, wouldn't it? At the at the higher end, I've been to Close House, um, which has got Top Tracer in there. I think it's ten pounds. Sorry, guys, if I'm wrong, because it's been a while since I've been up there. And you get very much the uh, I think it's ten pounds for like fifty balls, I think. And it's very much the similar experience that you're talking about. I mean, like computer, you know, LCD screen right next to you. You can play Pebble Beach or whatever. You can play Targets. Um, so I think the cost has to be variable, doesn't it? Because it depends what you're giving the depends what you're giving the customer. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Then I'll give you some. Uh, I'll give you some local facilities, and you can tell me how much you think it costs. Oh. So I'm, I'm the one supposed to be giving you a quiz later on. So I've got. Uh, I've got. At Garforth, I think, is probably the most typical driving range, right? So it's a driving range, you're on a mat, you're under a thing, there's no golf course. You don't have any top trace technology or any of that stuff, unless you're having a lesson. How much do you think 100 balls is at Garforth? £7.50. That's pretty, that's seven quid, right? And then if you went to Spofforth, which is a proper pay and play no membership I don't think mm. um, so it's kind of the, the <coughs> lower end of the market should we say how much do you think it's there for 100 bucks 50 50 350 4 quid I'm not doing too bad here am I which is the same price as it is at, on Woodley for a visitor 4 pounds for 40 right so none of these places have any technology and then the two places around here that do are White Ridge where they've got Top Tracer and then Rudin, where they've got these Trackman standard bays. Uh, weirdly, at, at Rudin, you book you book a time slot as well as a amount of golf balls. So if you get 100 balls, you book for an hour. And if you get 50 balls, you book for half an hour. Okay. You can also book like multiple bays next to each other at a discount, which is obviously handy if you're a That's family. an interesting concept, isn't it? Paying for time as much as you're paying for balls. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like the snooker light, isn't it? And you do it online, but again, like if you've got kids, this stuff matters because you, you can't you can't risk turning up and not being able to do the thing you want to do. Well, I mean, you know, one of the grumbles I've had about um, about driving ranges in particular is, and I don't mind saying this is at Closehouse because it shows just how popular Closehouse is. You know, I, when I was a, when I was a country member there, obviously I live in York. It's a chunk of a drive. You know, it's basically the best part of ninety miles. So I try and get up there beforehand to you know to um, hit some balls and I'd have no idea until I got into the drive basically whether I was going to get on the range or not um, because it's that popular and it's great for the club because you can you, I mean you've been to close house you know you go down that long drive you see the range coming up in front of you and you can just see person after person after person after person in the range fantastic great facilities but there is that and maybe maybe you could book ahead and I'm just, I was just ignorant about it but um there was that uncertainty about whether you would get on or not and I think time bookings are really really good in that respect because it removes that doesn't it you know right this is my time on the yeah, range yeah. I, can, I can get and go instead of oh I mean even at my local range you know it's a popular range I'll drive there not knowing whether it's going to be full or not yeah yeah and there's that kind of am I going to get or am I going to have to wait and then you get frustrated when you have to wait 
So I think that is I think I think that is a good thing, uh, and then also at Rudin they've got this like Uber sort of suite thing upstairs where they've got like an indoor hitting thing as well as hitting out onto the onto the driving range which you can book as for sort of private use. I think it's forty quid or something for an hour. So how much do you reckon that costs then? So if you've got a standard bay with a trackman in for an hour and a hundred golf balls, how much do you reckon that is? So you're paying by, you're paying for time, aren't you, as much as anything else? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go for let's say about twelve pound fifty. Ten pound fifty. And at the equivalent at Wyke, where it's top tracer with eighty balls is nine quid. So they're very, very comparatively priced. Yeah. Um and it just it feels like unbelievable value, right? Because this act this taking the kids on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. I'm not, I don't know whether it felt like we were doing golf particularly. It felt like an equivalent of going to Tempin Bowling or the cinema, as in we were all happy doing our thing for two hours. Um, it was like definitely sport, I guess. Um, so if you're comparing, if you're saying £10.50 an hour, um, it wasn't full, so we, we overstayed our £10.50, fair enough. But even 20 quid for two hours. Um, that is unbelievable value in comparison to going to the cinema or going to the, um, or, or, or going temping bowling or whatever else, and it's it's entertaining the kids. So then, then yeah, I think you're into a question: is, is that sort of thing, is that golf or not, or is that yeah. like an entirely different thing? No, no, it's golf. It's golf. I mean, I do think there's more of an entertainment aspect to it. So presumably, you've had, you know, if you were there with a few pals, you'd have had the option to get a beer or two brought down. And yeah, probably, yeah, you can probably some naturals, and then it does become much more of that kind of you know when I think about that I think about obviously this is on a much lower level but I think about that those videos you always see in Dubai don't you top golf in Dubai or Vegas it's much more that thing but at the end of the day it's still golf I think I mean you, you're trying to hit targets you're subconsciously or not improving your game because you're working on you know I actually think that kind of thing is better probably for your golf than right I'll just take 50 balls down at my local range I'll just hit it aimlessly into anywhere and then wander off and think about a good stick about it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, a, and it, a, I think it's a really interesting thing though is that we've like we obviously talk a lot about participation and how do we get more people playing golf and how do you get more kids playing golf? And Jesus Christ, it's hard enough to get kids to put down an iPad for like 2 seconds. Tell me about it. Um, but they're using technology in a really interesting way there to get to get kids engaged with um, hitting a golf ball. And it does engage them, and that is it is so so far removed from standing on a muddy range with no shelter, with nothing to aim at, um, with no feedback on whether you've hit a good shot or not. Um, and all of a sudden, they feel like they're playing a game rather than having to, uh, rather than practicing something. It's absolutely amazing. I'm sure we're going to get into some do's and don'ts of driver ranges, but and I might take us slightly off the beam the beam path here. But I, I I do think it's I mean going back to the point you were talking about with participation, I think people in golf get this wrong. I do. I just think that people in golf think there's like a straight line between driving you know, driving range and membership of the golf club. And it isn't like that. It's not like that at all. And the sport should just stop pretending that everyone who turns up on a driver range to hit a club is a potential member. They're they're not. Um, you know, my little one loves adventure golf. Uh-huh. She loves pitch and putt. She's got no interest in playing golf. Maybe that'll change, right? She gets older and she's only seven. But 
she's got no interest in going to a, to a driving range or going to a big course. But if you take her to Putt Stars in York and pop her down, she sees all the windmills, give her a club and a ball, and she she's straight into it. And I'm sure, it's maybe the same with your with your two. You know, it's you're not necessarily connecting that. Maybe it'll get there in the end, but that's not for you the first step of, right, this is your journey into golf club membership. It's just, right, we're gonna have a nice hour. You're gonna hit some pretend monsters and we're gonna have, have some fun about it. But I think the sport tends to say, top golf, adventure golf, driving range should at some point equal membership. And it's, I just don't think it's as straightforward as that. But like, it is, I think it is, I don't want to go too far down a participation rabbit hole, but like kids having fun in something that's loosely connected to the sport. Like if you get more people doing that, then some people will tip onto a golf course yeah, and become- yeah, 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 probably, yeah. It's like a sales funnel type of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's a pretty amazing thing. The other thing I would say is that we were at this driving range on a rainy Saturday and it, it wasn't full uh, and it was a really good experience. Um, I used to work at a driving range, which I've got some things to talk to say about, but I would say that nobody practices. Are you like the- um you like a sort of Lincolnshire tin cup? No, it was round here, it was round here, it was round here. It was a bit like that. <laughs> I could just see you like spinning seven irons in the air. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, it wasn't far off that. Um, but nobody practices, right? So all of the chat we have about um, uh, advancements in technology and people doing golf fitness and golf psychology and all this stuff that elite golfers do and scores on tour are tumbling and distance hitting records are being broken all the time but we know for a fact that the average handicap of your club golfer is just not moving particularly and it's because nobody actually practices and I know this because boring. I have been a lifetime practicer and I have been stood on empty driving ranges in December beating balls and there's nobody there. Why practice when you can play it on? Or, or not play it as, yeah. my, as the case may be for me. But I think, I think that is a, a, a big sort of takeaway for me of having um, spent a lot of time on ranges in my life and, and on Saturday at a really, really good range on a day where you would expect it to have been absolutely packed. Nobody practices. I, d I do think that this kind of development of technology might change that a little bit because you might make it. But I mean, th there are very few facilities still that are doing this. I mean, your average private members club or your average club has not got this kind of stuff in. I mean, I, th I did an interview with the guys at Top Turret Tracer and I apologise if I get this figure wrong because it's off the top of my head, but I think they were talking about like 160 to 200 facilities that they were in at that time, yeah, which, which is loads, right? I mean, it's loads, it's great, great work, but there are 2,300 golf courses in the United Kingdom. I mean, it's like, it's like a fraction and your average private members club is not going to put the investment in that um, that a close house will do, for example, with Top Tracer. I appreciate, because for anyone from Top Tracer is listening, I appreciate that there's Top Tracer range, which is a more mobile version of it and will obviously a bit, be a bit more cost effective. But I think until golf clubs get into the idea of this and secondly, can be convinced that they'll make money out of it, then the experience that we get between driving ranges is still going to be extremely variable. Yeah, yeah, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, I guess, because like it's you, you sometimes you don't need to be using trackman technology. You just want to go and hit a few balls, right? You might be warming up before a round. Um, 
but I think that you're absolutely right that the the kind of um, the motivation to go and do something, go and practice in the winter, if there is that technology there, making it more interesting is much much higher, and it is it is a really really good use case of technology making the sport better and more interesting. They, they, uh, this will be the last time, I promise, because I'm basically giving them free adverts here, but this is the last time I'm going to talk about close house. But what they do, or what they did when I was there, was in the winter they'd offer like monthly prizes. So you'd have, like, um, if their sponsor was apparent that was like BMW, for example, they might offer a BMW for a weekend for the closest to the pin, or they might offer a, right, we've got a watch for, for whoever like, gets it in the hole. And I think those kind of things as well, on top of the technology, really drive people, don't they, in those sort of weird months that we're in now where yeah, you, you might want to play, but it's not really that good outside. Yeah, and some of them, like, there is a bit of a, there is a, a sort of a bit of a community-type feel to this kind of thing. Like, at Garforth, they've got, like, a little bar and a TV, and I've seen they've been tweeting about, come down, hit a few balls and watch a World Cup match and have a beer. Um, it's, like, very sort of... Uh, low-key stuff but there is that sort of community feel to these places and it it kind of feels that that is the direction of travel like because you can play the game basically in all seasons you can get heaters in bays you can you're still outside breathing the air doing your sport and technology is making that much much better um, and I think that I think you're right to say that it's not happening at private members clubs but I think it probably will eventually because we've talked before about just most clubs just don't have facilities off course and that would be the number one thing if you can if you can offer something that gets people on the property gets people using the facility in the winter that's massive um yeah james edwards talks about the triangle he's a james edwards a uh, architect who um specializes in like practice short areas, areas yeah, yeah, and practice yeah. areas and he talks about the triangle from the clubhouse and how everything's got to be within a certain walking distance so you know the ideal is that you know, you'd be sat in the clubhouse having a bacon sandwich or whatever and you'd basically be able to see people on the range yeah. and see people on the practice area and you'd basically just be able to wander to both. Yeah. And when you lose that triangle, when stuff's like miles away, that's when the whole thing falls apart. It's an unbelievable, that's an unbelievably smart niche to develop. He's doing some work at Berkhamstead, I think, as well, as a, just on the course, as well as the short game stuff. Um, so Enough politics. Anyway, I want to hear about your youth as a dri- as a driving range person in, up here. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you ever have you read that book Nice Jumper by Tom, Tom Cox? Cox? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's sort of the book that we all think we could have written because that was about all of our yesterdays. And he had, he had another game, didn't he? Bring me the head of Sergio Garcia. Not all of us played junior golf with Lee Westwood, though, which is kind no. of like what what makes that book really something. I think he probably played at Cox more, if I was guessing. It's one of the Sheffield or Nottingham mm. clubs. Anyway, uh, and I, I worked at a driving range called Shea Grange, which is um, on Heaton Top in Bradford uh, when I was at university. Um, I've had quite a few golf club jobs, actually. I worked at a golf club in Australia for a year called Yorkies Knob. In Cairns, fascinating experience. Anyway, it wasn't a driving range, so <coughs> probably for another day. Um, but yeah, Shade Range was something to behold during that period. Um, so yeah, it's on Heaton Top in Bradford. It's right next to Northcliffe Golf Club, which people will probably know. Not far from Shipley Beckfoot Golf Club, um, and uh, it's a, it had a nine-hole golf course and it had a range and a decent shop. 
uh, and we were sort of shop rats during our university days. Um, so I'd travel over from Leeds and go and do far too many hours. Basically, I had a full-time job there whilst I was supposed to be at university, which was good for my golf, but very bad for my degree. Um, and honestly, it was just it was just an amazing place. We had a, it had a cafe, it, and this was 25 years ago, so I'm not. I don't think I'm ruining anyone's business by talking about it. It had it had a um, it had a cafe which was run by a guy called Costas and his missus. Um, and it, the cafe was full of non-golfers all the time, so local old people would come in because Costas's particular brand of like fried vegetables, I think, was quite helpful for getting them moving, should we say? Oh, uh, God. Uh, so we used to live on a sort of diet of Costas food. Um, the best person I met there was Ian Bottomley, who is the brother of Stephen Bottomley, who famously finished third in the Open in St Andrews the year that Daly won it, um, behind Rocker and. Um, uh, Rocker and Daly uh, and Botts was just an a- absolute legend of a bloke like really really good golfer turned pro he'd like been out and done his stint in Germany caddied on tour for a bit um, just like a man of many 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 stories um, sort of huge drinker um, amazing talker um, I think he works for a brewery now which if I was trying to sort of think of a job that he really shouldn't do it would be that one um, and he used to have this like yellow waterproof suit which he used to teach in he just looked exactly like the honey monster um, but people used to come for lessons with him just for a chat so you just sort of see him just sort of chuntering on at the back of the range never talking about golf anyway his thing was that he'd come he'd come to work start, he'd start work at sort of 10 o'clock and arrive on like the chairman's bus and he would go to Costa's cafe get himself his bacon sandwich and his newspaper and then he'd go to the toilet with his coffee and his newspaper and his fags. So he'd be sitting there for a good hour with his, having his breakfast, having his morning cigarette, having his morning coffee. And then we used to have to go and sort of knock on the door of trap one, say, Bots, your first lesson's here about 11 o'clock. He was an, a- an absolute legend of a, of a teaching pro. Really, really good golf teacher, but just a absolutely brilliant character. Um, and that whole sort of driving range experience was very, very much about the sort of characters that came in. Um, we had an absolutely insane owner who um, sort of took the idea of kind of um, uh, committee people thinking they can become course architects to a new level. So we had this like perfectly agreeable nine hole golf course, which he decided to redesign. And we ended up with like 600 yard par fives across like ponds that literally nobody can complete, holes crisscrossing each other to try and get the yardage up. It was like a health and safety disaster. There was one day when some cows escaped from like a local field and ended up, the only way we could herd them was to um, get them off the golf course, was to get them on the driving range, like inside the fence of the driving range. But we didn't close the driving range. So we had all these people at Bradford just firing golf balls cows. Like just, it, the whole place was just chaos. Um, yeah, and we had like regular customers. Um, we had a guy that uh, used to come in. It was in the early days of mobile phones, and he'd always come in pretending to be on the phone. Somebody impressive, like he would walk in the door, uh, get his phone out of his pocket, and then pretend he's on the phone to so his like his girlfriend or his stockbroker or whatever else. Like it was a hysterical character. Uh, we had a guy called David Dolby who used to come in literally every day and hammer out like two hundred balls like as fast as he could. He only got on the property for like 
40 minutes we just call him determined David Dolby you, you think he's like never ever gonna stop hitting balls and we had like proper proper wannabe tour players who would come in with, with all of the kind of uh, accoutrements like sticks before they were a thing and white belts and all the rest of it um, but the whole the whole place was like uh, it was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant to work there like we were sort of immersed in golf um, obviously we got to practice our own golf a lot um, but that in like in many ways that was sort of like I think it's sort of ahead of its time because it was like a it was like a place in its own right like people would come up use the cafe there was obviously um, they knew the people who worked there there's a lot of regular customers um, and I, I sort of getting back to the point where I think these these things are genuine businesses in their own right if, they, if they're done properly then I think they will become sort of destinations in, and you'll be weighing up whether you're going to go to the cinema whether you're going to Temping Bowling or whether you're going to go to the range um, so yeah I think that um, I think there's some sort of that kind of community spirit is, is very much the, the way forward for these places Do you, do you think that having had all that experience before and now seeing how driving ranges are do you think that facilities um, are committed enough to them. I mean, I, I can I, I can tell you many stories of going to driver ranges and mentioned one earlier on, and the balls, which are kind of like the key point, are awful, aren't they? They're just absolutely awful. Um, and I appreciate that they cost money, but to replace, but you can only get you can only hit a golf ball so often, can't you? And if you go there and their balls are rubbish and the mat's not great it's cold and the heater's not working and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's very hard to then muster the enthusiasm to return and spend more money on it. Well, massively, yeah. And I think there are like, a, there's like a load of things that I would say like huge driving range no-nos. Like I tried to make a list and put them in order. Um, the wrong height tees is just oh, the yeah. most aggravating thing in the world. Uh, and you have to get those stupid rubber things where, and you have to lift the whole mat up and then your hand gets filthy and you're covered in whatever black grime lives under a, driving range mat and they're literally never the right height so you they're one, never the right height they're never well, I don't understand that it's I, like you never ever find the right coloured one so that is really aggravating apparently everyone like hits a driver is basically in a big long drive competition and is trying to smack it to the moon they're so high aren't they yeah or you end up with a tiny little one where it's like just barely popping up above the mat so yeah that is really aggravating like it cannot be beyond the wit of man to find something you can put a T-peg in um, so that would be nice. Um, not enough space. I mean, it, there's just nothing worse than thinking you're going to clunk on a board or a post behind you. Or someone else. Or someone else, yeah. yeah. There's, there's nothing worse at a driving range than crowding. Is I mean, yeah, that would... All right, balls is the number one, but that's a close second to crowding. I, I, I think the wrong height tees is number one. Because the golf ball thing, like, yeah, right enough, it, it'd be better to have good golf balls than not good golf balls. But at the end of the day, you're practising, aren't you? Um, so that what the ball flight's doing is obviously important but if it's going far enough I'm not that bothered um, but yeah I think I think not enough space I don't I don't want to feel cramped like I don't want to feel cramped on a golf course I think it's one of the reasons I don't like trees and it, that is bad and I think if I was going to have golfing nightmares it would be about not not having any room to swing in mm. um, not enough targets is also really annoying um, again, like it can't, it's not that difficult, is it? Just put some more flags out. Just bad targets as well, though. Someone's like just put a random stick in the ground because they just think, oh, well, we should have a target there, but we can't be actually bothered to go make anything for it or buy anything for it. So we'll just put this like random pole at 175 and say, go and hit that. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, hitting up a massive hill, not into that. Well, if you've got low ball flight like I have, it's not very flattering. <laughs> hitting up a massive hill is just is just not what you want. You hit into the hill a lot. Yeah, but I think I do think that all of these things are increasingly becoming uh, a thing of the past. Um, and like I say, I think uh, I will definitely be seen more at driving ranges this winter because of my experiences at Rudding on, on Saturday. I thought it was brilliant. It's not inconsiderable drive for you that either, was it? From where you 20 were? minutes. Yeah, was, I mean, that's commitment, right? We live in the, in the Golden Triangle, Steve. So everything's easy. Mm. A1, this is amazing. Have you not used the amazing new rose? No. Well, I suggest you give it a go. But yeah, 20 minutes. Everything's 20 minutes, isn't it? Depends where you live. Yeah. So, come on then. Let's do this blimmin' rules quiz. So, just to set the scene for this. Someone's just sent me a link, by the way, to becoming a uh, football coach. FA are offering free entry-level courses. Maybe I should do that. Or maybe I should do a rules thing first. Anyway, see how this goes. Well, you know, given that you play competitive golf, I'd be, I'd, I think the game would be much better off if you understood the rules, <laughs> especially as you play off, what, plus two? So last week we did... Uh, Last week we did... Um, we did a beginner's quiz. Right. The right. RNA beginner's quiz. And I only got four out of five, but I well, I, I'm saying I, got, I just should have had the courage of my own convictions and gone... I, I mean, I'm going to give you four and a half because, it, it, strictly speaking, in the rules, um, you got the question wrong, but there can be some circumstances in a local rule where this can happen. So but you'd I'm, say I passed, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, yeah. How many questions are you asking me this week? I'm going to ask you six. And what's, what's a pass? And Four? The, I mean, really, you should get all six, to be honest. But, okay. Um, but you, might need to be, you might need me to repeat them. So it's um, also, There's also quite a lot of pressure, because in a podcast thing, I can't like sit here thinking, can I? Yeah, of course you can. Like when you were thinking about the price of driving ranges earlier, I was thinking, can you just say a number? Have you never ever heard of editing? Basically, if there's an unpleasant space, I can basically right. edit it out. Try to save your time. Uh, so this is the RNA's intermediate quiz on their website. So if you, um, the RNA's rule site is absolutely magnificent. There's basically everything you want on there. Here is my weekly plug for the RNA. Please do the RNA's Rules Academy. It'll tell you everything you need to know about how you need to go about playing golf on the course. You can do the level one rules quiz for free. Can you? you can, it will not cost you any money and you will be on the path to rules nirvana. So this is the RNA's intermediate quiz, there are six questions in it. So I, have, I haven't looked at it. You haven't, um, mm. and there was much chuckling yesterday as I was putting this together, wasn't there? And I was saying, ooh, how will you get on here time? Yeah, that was quite annoying, yeah. You did find that quite annoying, which I found quite amusing. Um, but are we ready, shall we go? Yep. Okay, question number one. Some of these are lengthy, so you're going to have to concentrate. We're into, right. we're into intermediate now. Question number one. A player plays her second shot, searches for her ball briefly, and then announces she will go back and play a provisional ball. She drops and plays a second ball from where she played her previous stroke. The player then continues searching for her original ball and finds it within three minutes of when she first started searching for it. What is the ruling? Is it A, the player must continue with the original ball, B, the player must continue with the provisional ball, or C, the player can choose whether to continue with the original ball or the provisional ball? You can ask, I, I, I realise I've just talked at you here, so, so you can <clears throat> ask me some questions about it. So, so she's hit a ball, yep. uh, 
she looked for it for a bit. Yeah. She's then thought, actually, I'm going to go and hit a provisional. Yeah. She's hit a provisional. Yeah. And she's come back to look for her first ball. Yeah. And she's found it. Yeah. Within three minutes of when she first started searching. The original ball's in play. The original ball, the player must continue with the original yeah. ball. Correct. Correct. Because if you find, and, and the, the answer for that, for anyone who's listening, is um, because you found the original ball within three minutes, it's, you basically have to continue with that ball. Is her gender relevant? I nearly threw me off. No. It's not. It's just what the question says. Um, so yeah, rule 18.3c for anyone who wants to look it up. One out of one. Good start. It's a good start. Question number two. We are playing foursomes. Right. Player A drives and there is doubt as to whether the ball is out of bounds or not. If the player decides to play a provisional ball, who must play it? Player A, player B, or C, either player may play the provisional. Well, it's not, it's not C. Um, it's foursome, so it's alternate shot. And it's stroke and distance. So it will be the other player. So the player so you're effectively one goal for aren't you? But you're paying alternate shots and that would effectively be their second shot plus one penalty shot. So it's the other player. So you're saying a, you're saying player B? Plays a provisional, yeah. Is correct. If the side decides to play a provisional ball, it must be played by the partner whose turn it is to play the side's next stroke. That's rule twenty two point three. Question number three is a singles match. Player A has the honour on the fifth hole. He hits his ball towards some thick bushes and decides to play a provisional ball. What is the correct order of play? Say that again, sorry. It's a singles match. Player A has the honour on the fifth hole. He hits his ball towards some thick bushes and decides to play a provisional ball. What is the correct order of play? Is it A... Player A must play his provisional ball before player B hits a tee shot. B, player A must play his provisional ball after player B hits her tee shot. Or C, player A may choose to play his provisional ball either before or after player B hits her tee shot. So I don't know if there's a rule about that. I think that etiquette says that you would allow the, your opponent to hit their shot and then you'd hit your provisional. Sorry, it's match play. So I guess in match play there's an advantage for the. Oh, so you've. The honour would mean that you've like the honours the reason the honour is a thing in match play is because you go first and that allows you to put pressure onto your opponent. Blah 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 blah. Um. So, but the flip side of that is it's the opponent has got the opportunity to see where your ball goes and then can choose their. Play. So if it's a provisional. The, like it has to be you have, both have to have the same information so you hit it towards a bush you're not sure so your opponent's thinking is it in a bush is it not in a bush and then this is deep level thinking do you need me to repeat the options no because it's either you hit it, you hit it again before your opponent hits it you wait for your opponent to hit it and then you hit it or you, or it doesn't, you can choose what you do I don't think the player will be able to choose as in because they won't be able to say, I want to hit my provisional, because then the other, the other guy might well say, I don't want you to. That seems a bit unfair, because that's an advantage to the person who's just sitting in the bush. I'm going to discount that. I'm going to say that I think he... If I was playing, what I would do is I would say, 
the other person hits, then I'll, I'll hit my provisional afterwards. I think that's probably incorrect, and I think that the in match play, the player should probably complete what he's doing before the other person does anything. So are you saying player A must play his provisional ball before player B hits their t-shirt? Yeah. Is incorrect. Ah! It's another one where I should have had the courage of my convictions. It's incorrect. It? When a player plays a provisional ball from the teeing area, the order of play is for all other players in the group to make their yeah, first stroke on the hole before the player plays the provisional ball. So that's what I would do. That's what I would do. But I was worried that it was incorrect. God, so Right, go on. Two out of three. Question number four. This is an interesting one. Let's see. Let's see how you do here. A player had accidentally left his driver in the clubhouse and was playing with thirteen clubs. His three wood was the longest club in his bag until someone brings the player his forgotten driver on the seventh hole. When measuring relief area on the eighth hole, the player is unsure whether the size of the relief area is defined using the length of the three wood or with the added driver, which is now the longest club in his bag. So which is correct? A, it is measured during using his three wood. B, it is measured using his newly added driver. Or C, the player can select which club is used to measure. So driver? Is correct. If the added club is longer, then it's used for measuring as long as it's not a putter, says the rules. Says the definition of club length, actually. Um, might be an interpretation in club length, but anyway, it's in the definition. Correct. Three out of four. Question number five. Stableford is a form of stroke play, true or false? Stableford is a form of stroke play, true or false? Yeah. Well, this, is a, this comes up, doesn't it, when people get annoyed about saying medal. So sometimes people say, can you stop saying stroke play because Stableford is stroke play? But there are different penalty rules in Stableford. But I'm going to say there's actually only two forms of golf, match play or stroke play, and all of the things like scramble or Stableford or whatever, just variations on stroke play. So I'm going to say, yeah, it is. It is. Stableford is a form of stroke play, correct. Final question, number six. For relief without penalty to be available, temporary water must be visible before the player takes their stance. True or false? False. You are correct. Yeah. And for free relief, the temporary water must be visible before or after the player takes their stance. Five out of six. Well, I think six out of six, really. You, you didn't have the courage of your convictions, did you? That's so annoying. I mean, like, you know, the, the, answer's, the answer's there for you, and you had it, you had it, and then... You even gave the reasoning as to why it was the correct answer. But you got five out of six, which is a, a decent effort. Mm. And next week we're going to go on to an advanced quiz and then we're going, to, we're going to really see where you are. It's amazing, isn't it, what you pick up over the years? Must have had a good upbringing at Louth GT. Right, well done. Uh, what do we need to do? Please make sure you subscribe. Please make sure you listen to our other podcasts, The Slam and all the gear also available on this channel but do subscribe massively helps see you next week cheers tom